You know, years ago, Viktor Frankl observed human life and nature made one of the most important quotes. You know, uh, my wife and I, we live by this. I hope it becomes something you live by as well. Of course, uh, Frankl survived three concentration camps. He wrote Man's Search for Meaning. Some people say the most important book written in, in the last hundred years. But he wanted to know there are people that survived the concentration camp and they came through that and they grew and expanded, became more loving. Others went through that experience and it destroyed them and they suffered deep depression. He wanted to know what was the difference. How do you go through something terrible, come through it a person that's transformed in a positive way versus somebody else that gives up on life? And he would share with people, you know, what were his findings from that? And Viktor Frankl made this statement, those that have a big enough why can bear almost any how. If you have a big enough why, you can face any how. Or as Jim Rohn said, reasons come first, answers come second. So think about it. If, you, if your why in life is why I just get up, go to work so I can pay my bills, that's not very compelling. That's not going to carry you through the, the darkest moments. But if you say my big enough why is Christ is my life, I can do all things in Him, or my big enough why is to, to be there for my family, to expand, to grow, to love. It's like the gentleman that had shared, you know, he had tried to quit smoking, was not able to do that, tried for years until one day his daughter in tears said, would you quit smoking for me because I, I want you to be healthy and, and uh, be alive to see my children. And suddenly he had a big enough why. And so he quit smoking. If you have a big enough why, each of us has to come up with that several reasons. Hopefully at the forefront of that is to say my big enough why is Christ. But we're going to look at some things here this morning. Fascinating studies in, in the secular world that we're looking to say, is there meaning in life? What is the meaning in life? You know, Hugo Grin also survived Auschwitz. Shared that while he was there, you know, his father would celebrate special holidays and he would ask him, why recognize a holiday in a dark place like this? And his father made the, the famous statement, my child, you can live three days without water. You can live three weeks without food, but you cannot live for three minutes without hope. When we come up with that big enough why, or several reasons why, there's always the hope. I want to give you something, though, here this morning. If you don't have a big enough why, to add this to your life and your thinking and your belief system. Because we're going to go beyond just reading a verse. We're going to talk about, let's look at it literally with things that we know today that perhaps David did not know then. This is Psalm 139, verse 14. Most know it by heart. The words are simply, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's look at that, though, from some science standpoints. And again, some research done by institutes that basically have a, a humanistic background and see what they find about this statement here. Here's a fascinating study that was done, and, and I'll give you the answer here in a moment, but what do you think the answer is? They wanted to know if you have the most powerful computer on earth, compared to the human brain, what percent of the human brain power can that computer process? What percent of the human brain can the most powerful computer on earth process? We'll come back to that here in just a, a moment here. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, I, I love this statement. He said, there's something about believing God that will cause him to pass over a million people to get to you. 
When we say, you know, my why is grounded in my life is in Christ and my why is grounded in I want to expand and love and grow and give. When our big enough why is grounded in I have my hope is in Christ. And we stand up and say, here I am, send me. There's something about that kind of belief and faith that God will pass over a million people to get to you. You see that in the life of Abraham back in Genesis. Abraham, you go to the New Testament. New Testament, we're told he's our, our model of faith, the faith. We are of that faith of Abraham. You know, God had searched and searched and searched till he found someone. That someone ended up being Abraham. He was the one that said, I believe. So when we stand up and say, I believe, mountains are moved. You know, Moses gave a big reason why when he was at the end of his life to share with the people that had turned to sin and they asked, you know, why should we be faithful and here's what he said deuteronomy 32 6 is god not your father your creator who made you and formed you when you want a big enough why come back to this you're fearfully wonderfully made and is god not your your father your creator who made you who formed you love this statement by david cho again the pastor of the biggest church in history it's believed a million people in korea Wrote a lot about uh, prayer and faith, but he said this, like attracts like, and like produces like. If you have fear, the devil has an open channel through which to come and strike you. Fear is negative faith. Fear is negative faith. Let our faith be saying, you know what? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Therefore, I, I shall have no fear. Here's a study done by the IBM Almaden Research Center, statement here by Darmendra Moda. He said this, if the human brain were a computer, it could perform 38,000 trillion, that's with a T, 38,000 trillion operations per second. Your brain, my brain, performs 38,000 trillion operations per second. If you have a big enough why, you can handle any how. When you and I start to get to that place to say, you know what? I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Wigglesworth said it like this. There are four principles to maintain. First, read the Word of God. Second, consume the Word of God. Third, believe the Word of God. And fourth, act on the Word of God. So we're going to take a look at, at this psalm from a literal standpoint here today and, and look at some very fascinating studies and leave here this morning with some more whys so we can overcome anyhow. Smith Wigglesworth again said, God has privileged us in Christ to live above the ordinary human plane of life. Those who want to be ordinary and live on a lower plane can do so, but as for me, I will not. Let us live above that ordinary human plane of life. And now let's see some amazing studies. Again, what happens when people recognize what David said. I'll read this here from Philip Yancey. He shared this in different places. I'll just read his words. An amazing moment, 1979. 
Listen again, what happens? How long can you live without hope? Seconds. Here's Philip Yancey's words. During the darkest days of communist rule, the Poles used to joke there were two solutions to their political crises, a realistic solution and a miraculous one. And the realistic solution, an angel would appear in the heavens, scaring the Russians into leaving. And the miraculous solution, the Russians would simply pack up and leave on their own. To no one's prediction, exactly that miracle transpired. In 1979, several million Poles welcomed Pope John Paul II to his homeland by shouting in defiance of their communist leaders, We want God. We want God. The chant went on for more than 13 minutes. Historians trace the beginnings of the Polish resistance and solidarity to that dramatic day. We want God for 13 minutes. That is the hope that is the oxygen to everyone's soul. So let's look at some studies here and see when we don't just read that word, but we live it. It consumes us, becomes our life. This study from the Framington Harvard Medical Study studied on married men. What does scripture say? A man will leave his mother, father, cling to his wife. Well, what does that look like? In these studies here, a 10-year study, thousands of men. Notice what they found. Again, Harvard. Married men have a 46% lower rate of death than unmarried men. Unmarried men have a 300%, 300% greater chance of dying of cardiovascular disease than married men. So... Let's go back to our first question. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You have the most powerful computer on earth. What percent of the brain's power can it compute? The answer, 0.02%. The most powerful computer on earth is only as strong as 0.02% of the human brain. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you live that word and say no more negative faith, no more fear, but you walk in that strength of who you are in Christ, you can overcome anything because your biggest why is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when you stop and say, you know, Monday morning during heavy traffic, look, I am fearfully, wonderfully made. What does that mean as I follow scripture? My life increases, my joy increases, my happiness increases. But I recognize in who I am because of who made me. As Wigglesworth said, the devil knows if he can capture your thought life, he has won a mighty victory over you. That's why, again, we say all the time, just as scripture tells us, to daily renew our thoughts, to not just read it, but believe the word and then act on it. More studies here we'll see in just a moment, but I love this here. Study on Deuteronomy 10.2. This is done here, as I'll share here the, the statements here. Deuteronomy 10.2, studied by Mark Gerson. Think about this again, the, the hope we have. 
Deuteronomy 10.2, you remember that Moses comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. They are worshiping the golden calf. <clears throat> he, he smashes those tablets, goes back up to the mountain. He's going to receive a new set of Ten Commandments as Deuteronomy 10.2. Here's what God says. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke. You should put them in the ark. As Gerson shares, the ancient rabbis explained them. Here refers to both the new and the pieces of the old broken tablets. The rightful home of the broken tablets is in the holiest place in the world, in the Ark of the Covenant. More than that, the holiest place itself is made of broken pieces. The broken pieces of the Ten Commandments placed in the Ark. The Ark, of course, is where that Shekinah glory would be. That holy place. The holiest place itself is made of broken pieces. What does that mean for you and I? We come with our broken pieces. There's a holiness in that surrender where sin is cleansed and we're made whole again in Christ. Suddenly we live differently because we say, I am in Him and He is in me. My living hope Think about Matthew 5, 13. Again, words we know by heart, but let's go beyond the words here and look at it deeper. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? We've all heard, and it's, it's a true statement, that salt is a preservative. So in that statement, Jesus is saying you are a preservative in the world, but that's not the only thing salt does. Salt was the main currency of the ancient world. In fact, the word salary originally meant salt and money, a soldier's allowance for the purchase of salt. So salt has tremendous value. Here's something else. Salt cannot be destroyed by fire or time. When Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, yes, it means preservative, but it means much more. It means tremendous value, not destroyed by time, not destroyed by fire. Because your brokenness and my brokenness is found, healed and made whole in the holy place. So when you stop and say, listen, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. I am salt. I am value. I am able to withstand the fire. I am able to withstand time. And then we share that light with other people so they can see the hope as well available for them. There's a fascinating study from the University of Pennsylvania. Simple study done at a train station. They'd have a stranger sitting out at the train station. He'd approach random people and say, can I borrow your cell phone? So this student, part of the psychology department, just go up to random people. Can I borrow your cell phone? If somebody approached you, what would you say? Well, 9% of people agreed. Most people say no to some stranger that says, can I borrow your phone? Here's what they did. The next day, the student went back out. This time, he'd walk up and say, I'm sorry about the rain. Can I borrow your cell phone? Now, 50% of the people shared their phone from 9% to 50%. Why? Here's what they concluded. If so ridiculous an apology, I'm sorry about the rain, 
is so effective for human connection, how much more a genuine apology. Amazing. A simple I'm sorry moves that number of people that help from 9% to 50%. Again, not just reading the word, but you take it to heart. What does Jesus say? Pray for those that persecute you. Bless those that curse you. What happens when we live out that word? Here's a Vanderweel Harvard study on happiness. Think about this again. This is not done from a Christian university. This is done from a Harvard study with Vanderweel. And the idea again here is they're trying to say, is there something about happiness and spirituality that ties things together? Here's what they studied. They studied couples. Here's the the key here. Couples that regularly attend church together. So couples that regularly attend church together. Doesn't make a difference in their life. So we go back again to Wigglesworth words here. You study the Bible, but move beyond studying it. You let it consume you. Then you go into living it and taking action. When David says, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, do we take that and say that's a poetic statement and it's a beautiful statement? Or do we say, yes, beyond that, though, it is literally true. The most powerful brain, or excuse me, the most powerful computer on the earth can compute 0.02% of what your brain does. Trillions of operations per second. If you have a big enough why, you can handle any how. Your why is grounded in who you are in Christ and how he has created you, how he's created me. We can face all giants, all things. We don't need negative faith in our life. Watching our thoughts. Taking in what happens in the world. Seeing it through the lens of scripture. Taking what scripture says. Seeing it through the lens of faith. Taking the promises of Jesus and saying, when he says I'm salt, what does that mean? I need to look and see what salt is. Hmm, salt preserves things. Can't be destroyed by fire, by time. Has tremendous value. Take out salt and put your name in there. You are a preservative. The fire can't destroy you. Time can't take away what you have in Christ. You have this tremendous value. The enemy wants us to be caught up in the distractions or to become religious and just simply go through the motions. But even the secular world can't deny the promises of hope, what it does to transform a life. So now they come to this study here. If you take a couple and they go to church regularly together, does it make a difference? Here's what they found in the Harvard study with Vander Weel. Couples that attend church regularly together reduce the risk of divorce by 50%. That's the first part of the study. There's one more part. What happens when you have a true faith together as a couple? And in worship, you live that out together. Suddenly your marriage becomes this picture it's meant to be. 
where Paul says marriage is meant to be a picture of Christ in the church. When a couple is there together regularly, divorce reduced by 50%. What does it do to physical health? Everybody in the world is, is trying to you know, preserve life, to live longer, to live healthier. Nothing even comes close to this. Couples that regularly attend church together live an average of seven years longer than the average population. These studies are done by secular universities. They're not trying to prove faith. They're just trying to say, what is meaning in life? Where can you find it? Our job is to live it out and to say, let me tell you where meaning's found. In your brokenness, those broken pieces, there's a holy moment that happens when you surrender to the offer of Christ to take your sin away and be healed. And when you take his word and you start living it out and you know your identity is him and you start saying, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am the salt of the earth. I am because he is. Everything transforms and there's nothing that can stop that. God has privileged us in Christ to live above the ordinary human plane of life. Those who want to be ordinary and live on a lower plane can do so. But as for me, I will not.